I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. Hey, Sheldon. <laughs> I just thought I'd say hi. I like to say hi to people once in a while. Hey, Art. How you doing? <laughs> I like Art. He's big. Well, Sheldon's big, too. I'm a little bitty twerp. I'm just a little bitty nobody. But I'm louder than everybody else anyway. That's for sure. <clears throat> now, I'm, I'm trying to teach to you on spiritual Israel. But before I get into it, uh, everything that Israel said, we they had all kinds of idioms. Metaphors. Figures of speech. I want to show you. I can't even begin to show how many figures of speech we've got. I've got books full of them that we have here in America. And you won't even recognize it unless you hear all of them. You're going, why do we have that many? Thousands of them. I've said before, if you say, well, I got it straight from the horse's mouth, that doesn't mean you're talking to a horse. That means I got it straight from the source where it originated. You got all kinds of idioms. I got an email from, uh, or not an email, a letter from Leonard Bremen in Roanoke, Virginia. This is an article he found, and it says, Corner Shot. A Tale of the Idiomatic in America. Listen to this. Most of us love idioms and use them frequently. I wondered if I could use them exclusively to tell a story. This is the result. A few days ago, something yanked my chain. There's an idiom. How's that? I don't want to create a storm, that's an idiom, and a teacup, that's an idiom, but neither do I want others to think that the cat got my tongue, there's an idiom, isn't it? Wanting to get this off my chest, there's another idiom, see we're loaded with idioms, we just don't know it. I have chosen to put my ducks in a row. I've used that this week a dozen times. Ducks in a row. That means to put everything according to chronological process. Seize the day. There's an idiom. And spill the beans. There's another one. <laughs> we don't know how many we use, do we? When I answered the phone, someone tried to pull the wool over my eyes and sell me a pig and a poke. That means to get something that you didn't intend to buy. He tried to knock my socks off by saying I had hit the jackpot in a publisher's lottery. Hit the jackpot. And could ride the gravy train. How's that for another idiom? For no more than a king's ransom idiom, he would help me grease the wheels idiom. Monkey business 
always gets my goat. There's two idioms. Bunky business gets my goats. We've got so many of them. I've got books full of them. If someone thinks I have lost my marbles, thinks you're crazy, that's an idiom, and have bats in my belfry, hey, there's another idiom. Just because I am long in the tooth, idiom, he is barking up the wrong tree, idiom. He's doing a whole article on idioms, telling the story. That is where I draw the line, idiom. Sometimes it is better to look a gift horse in the mouth, idiom. If you don't want to be saddled with something hard to swallow. I use that all the time. Predestination is hard to swallow. In my neck of the woods, idiom. If you look before you leap, idiom. And put your John Hancock on something. Your signature, idiom. Or something before you give it a fair shake, idiom. You can write entire paragraphs on idioms. I'm saying this so you'll understand. Among the Jews, they had idioms, and they used them according to the Scripture. By sticking your neck out, there's an idiom, and biting off more than you can chew. Before you go belly up, idiom. See how many we have that you don't have any idea we've got? They wrote an entire story. They didn't believe idioms. They didn't go to regular speech. What is good for the goose is good for the gander, idiom. So I decided to take the bull by the horns, idiom. Turn the table on him, another idiom, and give him a taste of his own medicine, an idiom. Not he's going to swallow uh, one of those cough syrups. With bated breath, another idiom, I told him, this made me happy as a clam, another idiom, that I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, idiom. Did you realize we have this many? They've got, I mean, we've got thousands of them. And that he had me chomping at the bits. There's another idiom. But since it is going to cost an arm and a leg, idiom, to seize this manna from heaven, that's an idiom that we would use. I wanted to throw caution to the wind, another idiom, and strike while the iron is hot. You didn't realize we had this many, do you? They had a lot of idioms. As cool as a cucumber, I told him not to beat around the bush, that the ball was in his court. Man, he doesn't even leave and go to a sensible sentence. He just one idiom after another. He could put his money where his mouth is by showing up on my doorstep. He doesn't even get away from idioms. Unfortunately, he seemed to smell a rat. (laughs) Not wanting to be hoisted on his own petard, he picked up his marbles and went home. I got a kick out of it. That's an idiom. 
And that is my story in a nutshell. <laughs> Isn't that good? If y'all won't copy this, we'll make some of it. I love that last, love that last sign. That's my story in a nutshell. We can make some copies of this. And maybe that'll help you understand. I was talking, well, we've talked about drinking a cup. That was an idiom to them. Drink a cup. Drink. Cup. Now that's what we're talking about when you're talking about the, this, the, if the church is not spiritual Israel, then why did God use a spiritual Passover lamb, Jesus, to convert his people? Is he the Passover lamb? Well, I guess he is. The Bible says so. Let's go over there and look at it one more time. Over in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. 1 Corinthians 5. He's talking about not fellowshipping with people who are walking disorderly. I've got to tell you something I didn't tell you last time when I got into this. Maybe I can shorten it. He's talking about a man that's having an affair with his stepmother here. And he said, I want you to cut off fellowship with that man so that his spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, when you, day of the Lord was an idiom to them. When you go into Isidore Singer's Jewish Encyclopedia and you look up day, it is the word yom. And it will say day of the Lord. And that will tell you day of the Lord was an idiom they used to say this is the time that God will come and visit you either with blessings or with cursings. That's the day of the Lord. Day of the Lord doesn't always mean the day that he comes back the second time. And that you're supposed to deliver such an one to Satan. That was an idiom of theirs. For the destruction of the flesh well, we know what that is. That's the outer man. Outer man. Paul uses this idiom, the flesh, which is the outer man. He tells us about it in Romans 7 when he says, I've got two men in me. I've got an inner man that serves the law of God, and I've got an outer man which serves self. And he's going to take... 40, 30, 40 years for God to put you under trial, tribulation, persecution, all kinds of, all kinds of trials in order for God to burn out most of that outer man. And as you get older, like me, when you get to be in your 80s, you don't want to do the things you want to do in your 30s and 40s. I do not want to do those things. My body's getting wore out. Deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction. Let me put it this way. For the destruction of the outer man. That the spirit may be saved in the day that the Lord comes and deals you. If you're sitting patting somebody on the back that's living in their sin, they'll think they're okay and they won't repent. You can't treat them that way. You can't be nasty to them, being abrasive, just say, I can't fellowship with you as long as you're living this way. And then he says, your glowing is not good. And this shows he's talking about Passover. 
know ye this, that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. He's calling that man that's having an affair with his stepmother leaven of the spiritual Passover. It was against Jewish law to have any leaven at any of these feast days. Leaven was a type and a picture of sin. So he connects this living they had to get up early in the morning on passover or on any of these other feast days and they had to get a little lamp go through the house hunt for leaven take it outside and burn it the day of passover or pentecost or whatever they had to get rid of it that's a type of sin and then he says Purge out therefore the old leaven on the day of this spiritual passover that you may be a new lump as ye are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. Who's he talking to? A Gentile Corinthian church. You mean he's going to use Jewish talk on them and talk about a Passover that they'll be a part of, and we're not spiritual Israel, Jews? How, how preachers can, how did they miss all of this? So he says, Jesus is our spiritual Passover. And he was supposed to, and then he says, therefore, let us keep the feast. Which feast? The Passover. Well, Jesus has been nailed to the cross. In Colossians 2.14, the Bible says, 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, it was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So all the rituals were nailed to the cross. The law was not. The law comes the law comes in two parts, the letter and the spirit of the law. Repeatedly the Bible says that the letter killeth, the spirit gives life. All that was blotted out was the rituals. Where everything that was once literal is now spiritual. Now I'm trying to tell you about this Passover. There's some things that I didn't tell you the other day. I was going to tell you that what they call communion, which is nothing but crackers and grape juice, that's not what they were eating. They were eating the last literal Passover. You find the last literal Passover in these chapters, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13. This is the only place you've got them. That's at the end of Jesus' life. That's his death. And when he's being crucified, he's being crucified. Like John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God. He could have said, behold the Lamb of God of the Passover. And that's what he was. And in 1 Corinthians 11, the same words that are spoken in these chapters here in red letters is Jesus' words in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Now, i got to show you something I missed to tell you the other day. <clears throat> Let's go back to... I went through... Matthew 26, and Jesus said, This cup is the 
New Testament in my blood. A cup was an idiom. In fact, you can get the full idiom of the cup in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17. This is after his death. I don't know when Paul wrote these. I know that he was in Corinth. I believe it's in that 18th chapter of Acts. And he spent a year and a half there. Now, the cup, the Bible says, this is after he is dead. Could have been several years after Jesus died, after he was nailed to the cross, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's when all the literal went away. Well, he uses a term in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, which was an idiom of the Jews. He said, The cup of blessing. That's not just words in the Bible. That was idiomatic concerning the Passover. That was the third cup of the Passover. Where do you get that? Out of one of the most reliable Jewish sources that you can possibly get, Alfred Edersheim. The temple, his ministry and services, he'll tell you all about the these things. There's some things I want to show you in here. It's very interesting and important for you to know. I don't know how to get all this over to people. There's so much to it. I can just do it one step at a time. If I skip something the other day, I'll just come up and say, let me make this up to you today, okay? I was trying to tell you in Matthew, when Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, New Testament. Testament is the word D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E. It means last will and testament. That is a, that only has effect after the death of the person who drew it up, which was called the testator. In fact, Hebrews tells us that in Hebrews 9. It says, until the death of the testator, there is no force to a testament, to a deathike. So when Jesus said that that night, he's going to die somewhere 18 to 20 hours later. And so until he's dead, they can't drink the cup. That was an idiom. Let me read that to you. It's just amazing how ignorant the world is, especially the preachers. The greatest treasure you could have for studying, one of the greatest treasures, is the Cyclopedia of Biblical, Ecclesiastical, and Theological Literature by John McClinic and James Strong. Biblical, Theological, and Ecclesiastical Literature. Twelve-volume set. If you can't find a set, you can get it free. Free. Free, like they say in that commercial. Free for free. On the Internet, just just Google, or if you, whatever your search engine is, 
uh, John McCunick and James Strong Encyclopedia or look, or, or look for Encyclopedia of Biblical, Ecclesiastical, uh, Biblical, Theological, and Ecclesiastical Literature by McClintock and Strong. Now, they have amazing information. This is something I've read to you before, but I want you to see. This is one of their famous idioms. Cup. Drinking of a cup. You're going to find it from one end of the Bible to the other. And you want to get it from a clinic and strong? Fantastic. Let me read it to you. The word cup is used in both testaments in some curious metaphorical phrases, such as the cup of salvation in Psalms, uh, Psalms 120. Six, thirteen, which Grotius, which is a historian, after Kimchi, another historian, explains as, and he gives a Latin phrase, a cup of wine lifted in thanksgiving to God, that it alludes to the Paschal libation. Paschal is the word Passover. Cannot be proved that there was understood by the Jews to be expressive of gratitude that it may see from Maccabees 6 and 27 where the Jews offer cups of salvation in Jeremiah 16 and 7 we have the cup of consolation which is in reference to wine drunk at their feast in 1 Corinthians 10 16 I just read it we find the well-known expression cup of blessing. And then in contrasted to 10 and 21, the cup of devils. Of course, that word devil is the word daemonion. And the Bible says in verse 21, 1 Corinthians 10, 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord, which is death to self, And the cup of devils. That word devil is D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. It's our word demon. It means to distribute fortunes. What he's saying. He's not saying I won't let you drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. It's not possible because the cup of the Lord is death to self. And the cup of devils is feeding self. It's kind of like saying you can't be on the top of a building and on the bottom of the building at the same time. You can't be right and wrong at the same time. And then he goes on to say, The sacramental cup is called the cup of blessing because of the blessing pronounced. See, I don't even agree with everything he's saying here. Because I don't believe it was the cup of... of uh, what he's trying to say Paul uses the expression with reference to the Jewish cup of blessing the third of four cups by the Jews at the Paschal feast so he tells you the same thing Mr. Edersheim tells you in the McClinic and Strong then it goes on to say in Psalms 11 and 5 
and in 16 and 5, the portion of the cup is a genuine expression for the condition of life, either prosperous or miserable. A cup is also in Scripture the natural type of sensual allurement at a banquet, but in by far the majority of passages, the cup of astonishment or the cup of trembling, the full red flaming wine cup of God's wrath and retributive indignation, there is in fact in the prophets no more frequent or terrific image, and it is repeated with pathetic force in the language of our Lord's agony in Matthew twenty six, thirty nine and thirty two, John thirteen, eleven and Mark ten and thirty eight. God is not is God is here represented as the master of a banquet dealing the madness and stupor of vengeance to guilty guests. The cup thus became an obvious symbol of Death. I've told you that a hundred times, haven't I? Or, and hence the oriental phrase to taste death. That was an idiom to them. Drink of a cup, taste death. So common in the New Testament. The custom of giving a cup of wine and myrrh to condemn criminals is alluded to in Matthew and in Mark. So we discussed one of their idioms. Now, let me straighten out a couple of things. You can have a copy of this if you want it without going to McClinic and Strong. All you have to do is make a copy of it. I'll put it over here with this other one if you want a copy of it. It'll tell you a cup means to die. So when Jesus said this cup is the New Testament, he was saying this cup is the new last will and testament. It will not take effect till I'm dead about 18 hours from now. He's not talking about drinking grape juice, even though they were doing that. May I remind you, the Jews acted out a little performance every contract they had. This was the performance of a contract. You have the same words used. I sold real estate for 17 years. You call executing contract, you call it specific performance in real estate. It's performing a contract. That means you write a contract, you take it to the seller, they say this is you know, the buyer will write a contract, take it to the seller. The seller will either mark out what he don't want and put in what he does. And when everybody initials it and you go to the closing and you transfer the property, they call that specific performance of a contract. That's what they did in the ancient world. Oops, dropped something, did it? That's what they did in the ancient world. Now there's a couple of things I want to straighten out that I left out the other day. Over here, I told you, it takes two witnesses to confirm everything. God says twice at this last Passover, in Mark 14 and Luke 22, he says something he doesn't say in Matthew 26 and John 13. He says in in Mark 14, look here. 
I have to go through these and point this out. So if you want to show it to somebody, you can. So there's two witnesses concerning the death of the Passover lamb. Two of them. You got one of them here in Mark 14. It's time. It's the the last Passover is at the end of Jesus' life because that's where they're eating the Passover on Thursday night going into Friday. And he's killed on what we call Friday. But I keep saying, don't think of the way we count days. Friday, Friday night started Thursday evening at 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock Thursday evening or sundown. That's when Friday started. So that night they're eating the Passover and it won't finish till sundown Friday. What we call Friday. Their day began in the evening at sundown or about six o'clock. So that's how their days were. Now, they were eating that night and what they were eating was the Passover. They were not eating communion with crackers and grape juice. It's ridiculous. Look here in Mark. This is Mark's account of the same thing in Matthew 26. Mark 14. He talks about in two days will be the Passover in verse 1. Two days pass. You go to verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover. This is the same happening where they call it crackers and grape juice or communion, but they got a Passover lamb here they're killing. I keep saying they call three things the Passover. Three things. They called Nisan 14. That was the day of the month. Nisan 14. And then they had, they, that was the Passover, then they had, that was the Passover day. They had the feast. The Passover feast began on the 15th for seven days. This is very important to understand. Mr. Edersheim will tell you in his book, this is important to understand because you can't you can't understand it without some Jew telling you this. He was a Jew born born eighteen twenty five, died in eighteen eighty nine. He retained a lot of the culture of the Jews in his books. And they had the feast which lasted seven days that began on the fifteenth. Here's something you have to know. The fourteenth was Sabbath. It was every feast day was a Sabbath day. Mr. Edersheim will tell you in this book, he will say, let me read it to you. He's one of the foremost authorities on Jewishness in the Bible. He says, the first day, how many times have I told you that Passover was on Nisan 14? 500 times, a 1,000, Nisan 14. 
that that's commonly understood. Nissan is our month, March, April. They only had 360 days in their calendar, so they had to add certain days after so long. I won't go into that right now. But he says, the first day of unleavened bread, or the 15th of Nisan. Now, here's what's important about understanding that. The first day of the unleavened bread, which was Passover feast, was the next day. And the Bible says in John 19 that this that this first day of unleavened bread, you won't understand what this is talking about unless you know the Jewishness of it. That the first day of unleavened bread was a high day. A high day. A mathematical term for that would be congruent, C-O-N-G-R-U-E-N-T. Congruent means you got a, you have a triangle here, and then you got a triangle over here, and they fit exactly on top of one another. That's congruent. A high day was where another Sabbath fit right up on top of another Sabbath. You had two Sabbaths the same day. That's why when the 14th was Friday, that's the day Jesus, that's the day is crucified. On, now here's, if we're not spiritual Israel, why was why did God make sure that Jesus died, Jesus who's dying for a Gentile church, that he's dying on the Passover day. Why did God, if we're not spiritual Israel, why was God doing that? That's crazy. People say we're not spiritual Israel. I don't know if you know how much people resent that, how much preachers resent it. I'm just trying to show you why would God do everything for his church on these spiritual, on these spiritual days of the Jews? Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Ingathering, Atonement. All of that fits in the church. Then, so the fact that the Sabbath, which is the seventh day of the week, the first day of unleavened bread was a Sabbath. He tells you that in here. It was a Sabbath. Therefore, it fit right down congruently on top of the weekly Sabbath. It was a high day. You can't get out of that any way you slice it. That's why he had to die on Friday. Because the first day, the next day, was the first day of Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it was a high day. But if you don't know what a high day is by reading an English Bible, what are you going to do with it? Nothing. You're not going to know. Now, I'll straighten out some of that. Let me give you something else here. So he says here in Mark 14 and 12, this is the same thing that's happening in Matthew 26 that they've renamed communion with crackers and grape juice. It's the same thing happening here in Mark 14 and in Luke 22 and John 13. So look what he says. The first day of unleavened bread when they killed the Passover. 
they killed the Passover, his disciples said to them, What were thou that we should go and prepare for thee to eat the Passover? They were in the Passover. And look at Luke 22. Luke 22 and verse 8. Oh, let me look at 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. At that thing that they call communion, pass around crackers and grape juice, they've got a Passover lamb that has to be killed. So have you ever seen anybody pass around a leg of lamb when they have this communion with these churches? i never seen or heard of that, have you? Yet it's right here in their Bible. There's something else I gotta show you. I told, I started last time. Let me give let me give it to you. Let me go back here to uh, let's go back to first Corinthians eleven. It takes a long time to go through all of this. First Corinthians is a Passover book. It's got it all over the book. I keep telling you that they had a what they called an agape love feast. Love feast. That would be on the first day of the week. First day of the week. Every week that was Sunday. Now do not believe, do not think that they renamed the Sabbath Sunday. They did not. The Sabbath now is every day. It's spiritual. I've gone through that on many and I did two or three months just on spiritual Sabbath. Now, over here in the eleventh chapter, they're having a agape love feast and and uh Paul is talking to the church and he says what this love feast is for you can look up agape love feast in the McLennick and Strong it'll tell you all about it they would meet on the first day of the week they would come together and they had many first century Israel was poverty stricken people weren't rich there the only people that were rich were Pharisees that were cheating people out of money. But it wasn't rich by our standards. They had more than they needed. And they would cheat people out of everything. Well, what they did, they had the people come to the gathering. And they bring offerings for the poor. And they bring food for the poor at this agape love feast. And that's what they're having right here in this 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Look here what it says. When they came together, they would start eating the food that they brought for the poor. Look what Paul says in verse 22. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God? You're eating up all the food that you're bringing. It's for the poor. And shame them that have not. And what? I say to you, shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. You're to be cursed for that. 
the people in the church. Then he says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. So he's going to repeat. If you've got a red letter Bible, these half this next verse in red letters, that's Jesus' words at the last Passover. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body. We've already stated the body's the church. There's one body. Already said that. One body. Ephesians 4 and 5. And the body's the church in Colossians 1, 18 and 24. So the body's the church. But to eat of the body doesn't mean to chew on Jesus' arm or leg or something. Jesus said, Eating is spiritual in the church. I have a meat to eat of that you know not of. It's to do the will of the Father. Well, doing the will is doing the law, isn't it? Law nomos means legally prescribed food for animals. So the law is what we exist on. And then he says, Take heed, this is my body which is broken for you. He's not talking about pieces of broken bread. That was a contract that they acted out. This do in remembrance of me. People say, are we supposed to eat bread in remembrance of him? No, partake of the body of Christ, the church. Come to church, listen to the teaching, go out and live in the world and live righteously and godly. That's what partaking of the body is. And after the same manner, he took the cup. What is a cup? Death to self. But it's not, has no strength or no force till Jesus is dead. Here he is, 18 hours later, say, when I die, drink the cup. Death to self. From then on, the rest of your life. When he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as oft as you drink it. What if I said, as oft as you drink it and you die daily? Drinking of a cup and a daily cross were the same thing. When Jesus asked James and John in Mark 10, he said, can you drink the cup that I drink of? Are you able to be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? He asked them, both both questions. Can you drink the cup? Can you be blood baptized? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, as often as you partake of the body of Christ, which is the church, and drink death to self, that's how you show the Lord's death. You don't show the Lord's death by taking a little cup and going, and taking a piece of card going, that don't show nothing. That's goofy. You show the Lord's death when you go out and tell people Christmas is pagan, Easter is pagan. God does not love everybody and predestination is true. And they want to kill you for that. And they do that figuratively. Because death means separation. It does not mean annihilation. So they separate from you. And the next time they see you, oh, yeah, Jim, well, I don't have time to talk. And they separate. That's a spiritual death. The thing I left out last week is these next verses. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death. Wherefore, 
whoever shall drink this the meat this bread which is the body of Christ the church and drink this cup of the Lord death to self unworthily unworthily is the word anaxios let me erase this title that's up there I need the board takes some time to get all this said and if I say it twice I don't think you get it sometimes it doesn't register in you until later I've spent years studying this I mean decades I don't mean 15 minutes for my lesson this stuff stays in my mind all the time I've got stacks of papers I go through them going do you know I know what's on all these papers up here? I don't have it all memorized, but I can pick one up and tell you what it is. And I carry so many of them. I'm afraid of not having enough information. And then he says, if you, eat, if you eat the body or partake of the church unworthily, here's how you do it. Anaxios, A-N-A-X-I-O-S. Axios is not only a Greek word, it's a mathematical term. Axiom, A-X-I-O-M. Axiom. That's a mathematical term. You've got all kinds of axioms in algebra, in geometry. The way I made real good grades in math, I didn't let one of these axioms get by me. Whenever you hear me say things equal to the same thing or equal to each other, that's algebra. And it's real simple whenever I say the flesh is the bread, the bread is the body, the body is the church. They're all equal to one another. And if you can find anything that any one of them are equal to, flesh, bread, body. What they're equal to, the flesh is the veil. The veil is the inside that goes inside the temple. And we are the temple, and the veil is the flesh of Christ, and the veil is the flesh, and the flesh is the bread, and the bread is the body, and the body is the church. They're all equal to the same thing, so they are all equal to one another. You'll learn that in the first week of algebra. Things equal to the same thing. I've said that a thousand times here, haven't I? You can find what one thing's find things are equal to each other. They're all equal to one another, and you can substitute any one of them. Anytime you find something that the other one's equal to, we talk about it makes the Bible easier to understand. It does. And then he says, "So axios is a mathematical term, axiom." Everybody that Mike can tell you all about axioms. He's got a master's degree in mathematics. And anaxios is the alpha privative in front of axiom. It means no worthiness. Axios is a common Greek word worthy or equitable. If you talk about mathematical, that's it. X plus Y equals z well that means this is equal this side is equal to this side whatever that whatever those values are so it means 
equitable. It's the same thing as an equation. Old Testament equals New Testament. I've said that a thousand times, haven't I? All of it's equal. I think everybody ought to learn common, simple algebra. You can study the Bible and it sure does make it easier to understand. So anaxios means unequal. It means you're unworthy, you're not worthy if you partake unworthily of the bread and the body. And anaxios was a term that was connected with all of these festivals. They said you could not partake unworthily. Well, if you go over to, you have to understand, all of these feasts, the Jews that were really committed to believing God, they were required, according to Exodus 23, come back to Passover, Pentecost, and this this is in the first month, Nisan. That's March, April, March, April. This Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. Now, isn't it amazing? This is where Jesus was killed as a Passover lamb. And we're supposed to believe in him. A Jewish man who died for the church. And we're not Jews. I don't even understand preachers saying we're not spiritual Israel. We are. And then when you get to Pentecost, when they left Egypt, in Exodus, the 12th chapter that was Passover they went into the desert and they come down here in the desert to Sinai that's 50 days after the first Passover Pentecost is 50 days after Passover that's where they came down here like this. What gets me, you you get to, you get past Passover, Jesus is dead, and all the rituals are blotted out, and then we keep on in Pentecost. At Pentecost, the church was born. It came alive. At Pentecost, Jesus died, and he's a Jewish guy that's going to die for his wife, and he's going to use a Jewish Passover to be that lamb. And we're not Jews. Can you see what I'm saying? We have to be. We're going to go through all this Jewishness, and the birth of the church was at Pentecost in Acts 2 where God poured out His Spirit. Boy, this would take me all day to go into this. Poured out of His Spirit. Poured out is one word in the Greek. E-C-E-K-C-H-E-L. It means to gush out like a flood on all flesh. On the Gentiles. 
that's the all flesh, red, yellow, white, black, and brown flesh. And that's the pouring out. It's the same word in Romans 5. That the love of God is shed abroad. Shed abroad in our hearts by God. Shed abroad is that same word, ekkeo. So he sheds abroad his love, his agape. And agape, Second John 6, this is agape, this is love that we walk after his commandments. So when we walk after his commandments, that's agape being shed in our hearts. And that's what's going on at Pentecost. And that's when, I went on, when Moses went up on the mountain and came down. That's the same thing as Pentecost. It's 50 days after the first Passover. It's not even a hard thing to understand. So, then you've got, gosh, I can't get into all this all at once. Look here. i got to finish this so I can show you. It's important to know all this. Now, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, put it this way, he that partakes in the body of Christ, unworthily was a term for these Feasts for the feast. Here's the term. Got to go back here. Well, no, let's go the other way. Here it is. I said the other day, this map comes out of the compendia. The compendia is a series of books they started printing about 1964. It's a, an amalgamation of Jews and Christianity and what they all, how they blend together. And it, they tell you that the Jews had to come back in Exodus 23 and several other places to Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Ingathering. When you're reading the first, the second chapter of Acts, the Bible says there were Jews from every nation under heaven. They come from all over the world. What were they doing all over the world? What were the Jews doing all over the world? Can somebody tell me? Huh? They've been scattered, hadn't they? Why? Well, tell me the reason exactly why. Christmas. Christmas, thank you. <laughs> Christmas under another name for 500 years. They went after Baal in the grove. That's why they're scattered. And God says you have to come back to all these. When the Bible says there were devout men, Jews from every nation under heaven, they'd been scattered all over the world because they went after this sun and tree worship all through the Old Testament. So the compendium says they're all coming back. Every man that comes back has to bring one of two things. He has to bring a half shekel or a lamb. Now, if you're coming from over here, in Rome, or let's say you're coming from over here in Spain. You're a Jew scattered over in Spain. You can't bring a lamb all the way through the Mediterranean to Israel, can you? 
Come on, little lamb. Come on. Get, get over here. You can't do that. You had to bring a half shekel to buy a lamb in the temple. Nothing wrong with buying and selling in the temple. Preachers say, you ain't buying and selling in the temple. No, 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 you ignoramus. You had to buy a lamb or a dove if you were real poor, and that was your sacrifice. What was wrong in the temple was the money changers. The Pharisees had set it up where you had to be You had to buy with Jewish money. So when you went into the temple, you had to give them so much money in exchange for your Greek money. And the only place that you could use that Jewish money was in the temple to buy a sacrifice. So when Jesus goes in there, he finds that when you cross the border going into Canada, you've got to get a money exchange in order to be able to buy things in Canada. I've gone across the border. and You've got to exchange money for money. What they were doing in the temple, they were cheating the people, maybe giving them 50 cents on the dollar. And that's why Jesus turned the, everything upside down. You've made my father's house a den of thieves, you bunch of cheating liars. They had to be there buying lambs because all these people couldn't bring one with them. Can you see that? Nothing wrong with buying lambs in the temple. They couldn't get one anywhere else. Now, i got to show you something else here that I didn't show you the other day. To drink and to eat of the body of Christ, which is a church unworthily, that was, anaxios was a term that was connected to these feasts. I keep saying, the Pharisees were running the show here at Israel. Here's Israel here. And the Pharisees were running the show. Israel's on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. And they were running the show here. And so they, they would send out people. I don't know if it was volunteers. It was people they would pick out to go out on the road and to repair the roads. You say, why would they need to repair them? They didn't have paved roads back then. Very few nations had anything leveled off. They had dirt roads, and if they were going to travel somewhere, it was very difficult. Because when it would rain and pour, you know how a road is or how it is out in a field, and you've got all this, this is sandy area. When they had rocks there, it would rain and expose the rocks, and most roads would be real rocky, and you couldn't hardly walk in them. So these men were sent out to repair the roads around Jerusalem so the people would come in there. When they ran across a dead body, you could not eat of the Passover if you came in contact with a dead body. You were said to be eating and drinking unworthily. So what they had to do, what they did the men that were going out on the roads and repairing, if they found a dead body, they were instructed, bury it right where you find it. Don't move it any further. Bury it right there. Put a big rock over it and paint it 
with whited lime. They called that a whited sepulcher. A whited sepulcher was not a whited tomb. That's something else. A whited sepulcher is where they found a dead body. That means stay away from here. If you do and you go to the Passover, you were said to be partaking of the Passover unworthily. You've come in contact with whited sepulchers. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 23 when he says to the Pharisees, listen to his words. 23. We're not talking about a tomb. A whited sepulchre had to do with those feast days when a man would come in contact with a dead body. Look at what he says. To the Pharisees, this whole chapter is about the Pharisees. He said, woe unto you all through this book, all through this chapter. And he says here in Matthew 23, and he says here in, let's read here in, uh, 25. Warn you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within you're full of extortion, you cheat, you lie, and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres. Stay away from the Pharisees. Stay away from, from actors. That's what he's saying. A, a hypocrite was an actor under an assumed character, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So that's what he's saying here. You say, well, what about those men? If they're believers and they go out there and find a dead body, how do they get to partake of the Passover? They had to wait a month. And just a certain few of them, a Passover would be prepared for them. You can find that in Numbers the ninth chapter. Let's look at that. Numbers 9. Numbers 9. All right. It's talking about the second Passover. They had a second Passover for people especially those men that could not touch dead bodies, and they did because they had to bury them. But they were among the believers. So he says here in chapter 9, see there's more important to these things than you know. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year, after they were come out of the first month, that's Nisan, that's when they ate the Passover, came out the land of Egypt. Let the children of Israel also keep the Passover at his appointed season on Nisan 14. And in the 14th day of this month, there it is right there, at evening you shall keep it 
in his appointed season according to all the rites of it and according to all the ceremonies thereof. You shall keep it. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover. This is the second year after they've left Egypt. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of Nisan, the first month. And even in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did the children of Israel. And there were certain men who were defiled by a dead body. There it is. Of a man that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and before Aaron on that day. And these men said unto him, We're defiled by the dead body of a man. Wherefore are we kept back from the Passover? that we may not offer an offering of the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, notice how important some of these Old Testament verses are. Spoken to Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you or of your posterity your children shall be unclean by reason of a dead body or be in a journey afar off and you can't partake of the Passover. Yet he shall keep the Passover unto the Lord the 14th day of the second month, 30 days later. See that? You're not even, most people wouldn't even connect this with 1 Corinthians 11, would they? The fourteenth day of the second month, at evening they shall keep it, and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and they shall leave none of it until the morning. He's telling exactly how you do it, how you do it in the literal Passover, in the second Passover. According to all, you wouldn't even understand what this is talking about if you read this first. You had no idea what white sepulchers were, would you? No way. They leave none of it until morning, nor break any bone of it. No bone could be broken. It had to be disenjointed. That's why when they came to break Jesus' legs so that he couldn't push himself up and exhale, they said he's already dead no bone was broken. No bone of the Passover could be broken. That's why they could not. Notice you'll get this everywhere you go. They couldn't have driven the nail on what we call the palm. They had to drive it between the radius and the ulna because the palm, by Jewish reckoning, was said to go nearly all the way up to the elbow. They called that the palm. So they couldn't have driven it here, where we call the palm. If they had it, they'd have broken his bones, and he would not have met the criteria for the Passover lamb. In fact, we had a picture over there of a lamb in Jesus' arms and had the nails here. That's where they were. All right. And he goes on to say, uh, No bone will be broken according to all the ordinances of the Passover. They shall keep it. But the man that is clean and is not in a journey forbeareth to keep the Passover, even the same soul shall be cut off. If he says, I, I was available for the Passover, I just didn't want to do it. God says, I'll kill you for that. 
cut off means to be killed. All right. Now, I've got so many things to say about this. So now you know what, what let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11. It takes a long time to get through all of this. I told a guy the other day, I said, I got thousands of books in my library. He said, what do you need with a thousand books? I said, thousands. I didn't say a thousand. I said, I use them to research all the time. I said, I research around the clock. If you would listen to one of my DVDs, he'd see they have a lot of information. Now back over here to 1 Corinthians. I've got to make this clear to you what he's talking about. 1 Corinthians 11. I, I rushed through it the last time I taught. And he says here, Let me give you a verse in verse 20. When you come together, therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You're not coming together to eat a feast. You're coming together to bring food for the poor. They need and offerings for the poor. Then let's go down here into 29. And he that eateth and drinketh unworthily. You're running with Pharisees or hypocrites. You can't belong in the body of the church and be eating of the church, the body, partaking of it, and drinking death to self, and running around on Friday night with some guy that cusses and drinks and has no use for the Word of God. You can't be doing that. That's partaking unworthily. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation. It's a crime. The word is crema. It's a, you cannot run around with the world, be a partaker of the body of Christ, partake of their sins, go drinking with somebody, go to their house and have a beer with them and cuss a little and have a little bit of off-the-wall blue humor. You can't do that. What you're doing is eating, drinking unworthily, not discerning, not discerning the body of the Lord. The word discern is the word diacrino, D-I-A-K-R-I-N-O. You are not judging Crino correctly. You're in the you're judging for your own thoughts. You can't discern the body of Christ. You get to where you don't know what truth is and what it's not if you're running with the world. In fact you get to where you don't care, according to Ephesians the fourth chapter, if you listen to winds of doctrine, you'll get to a place where you will be past feeling apogeo. You'll be apathetic. You'll say to somebody, Christmas is pagan. They'll say, I don't care. Oh, Easter's pagan. I don't care. 
you got to repent. I don't care. The church can get apathetic. Apathetic comes from the word pathos. That means a suffering disease. A pathologist is a doctor of suffering diseases. Apathos means no suffering, no feeling. The often from pathos means apathetic. Winds of doctrine will make you where you just don't care. You want to know what's wrong with America? They go to these Baptist churches, these Pentecostal churches. They listen to the lies. And I'll talk to people and I'll say, Christmas is pagan. They'll say, I don't care. I like it. I don't care. Predestination is true. Well, maybe that's the way you feel, but I don't care. They just, America doesn't care. They've listened to all these winds of doctrine. And then he says, For this cause, what cause? For drinking, eating, drinking unworthily. You will become spiritually sick. You become weak and sick in the Lord among you. And many die. Die doesn't mean... You'll be literally dead. It means you'll be dead spiritually. You'll be separated from God. For if we judge ourselves about what? About eating and drinking unworthily. Well, I'll tell you what. It's hard to have been out there in the world and stop running with them. When you've run with them, I don't want to be around anybody that doesn't believe the truth. I'll preach to anybody. I'll be out in public and I wear shirts all the time that's got God does not love everybody Christmas is pagan Easter's pagan I'll wear all kinds of shirts that's why I like those shirts that shock people I love that shirt I've got it says Jesus is coming back in flaming fire taking vengeance on all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel how's that I don't have to say how's that, but that slaps people in the face. Jesus is coming back, and if you do not obey the gospel, he's going to slam you into flaming fire. And then he says, But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. When you're judged, it's because God is declaring you righteous. God is... Whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. In that 30th verse of Romans 9, they're all past tense verbs. And when we're justified, that means to dikaiao. D-I-K-A-I-O-O. It means to render innocent. We are rendered innocent by God. That's judging righteously. And then he says, verse 33 connects with verse 22. It says, Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together, to eat, 
tarry one for another. The way the Baptists have interpreted this, everybody holds your cracker and holds your grape juice and wait till everybody gets their grape juice and then we'll all drink it at once and eat it once. That's stupid. That's so dumb. What does that mean? He's talking about verse 22. Don't you know that you've got houses to eat in at home? Wait for the poor to get here. Don't eat up all their food. The whole purpose of the Agape Love Feast was take up offering for the needy and bring them food. Don't eat it. Paul is jumping their case at Corinth. It's just, I can't teach this what I tell them the whole thing. If any man hunger, let him eat at home. You didn't bring this food to eat it up from the poor. You're not waiting for them. You just say, hey, we got this food. Let's eat. He says, eat at home. That's for the poor and the needy. You know how far off base that the Baptists are with this verse here. They're just ridiculously stupid. If any man eat hunger, let him eat at home, that you may not come together into condemnation. The rest will I set in order when I come. Now, I've got to... I really want to go through all these things. But what I'm, what I'm trying to show you, if we're not spiritual Israel, why is he, why is he using a spiritual lamb? Jesus. For our Passover, which he hath, which he's sacrificed for us. And we've got a Passover lamb, Jesus, and we're supposed to partake of him, yet we're not Jews. The Bible says the Jew is not outwardly of the heart. Circumcision is of the heart. You better be have spiritual circumcision. That's cutting off that outer man. It's the same thing as cutting off those whited sepulchers. If that outer man wants to run with the world, you got to stop him. you got to force yourself to behave yourself. God will give you strength over time to stop doing the things you've been doing. Now, I was titling this, Why Does God Look Over at Acts 2? How much time do I have, Mike? Fifteen. Oh, gosh, I'm not getting to all this. You got to remember, everything in the Old Testament is equal to everything in the New. You've got, you know, I've never heard of anybody teach what I've taught tonight. Nobody even get close to it. Never. Do I believe I know exactly what it's talking about? Absolutely. I've spent enough time researching. Now, go and see, here's what happened. They left Egypt in Exodus 12. That's Passover. And they go to, now here's amazing. The lamb is killed that night. 
at the last Passover in those chapters, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13. At that last Passover, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was killed. Well, if we're not Jews, isn't the Jewishness of everything over with? No, after Passover 50 days, that's when they went from Egypt down to Mount Sinai. 50 days. 50 days. And he goes up there in the church. Israel is birthed. They're birthed at Sinai. That's when they have laws written on tables of stone. Tables of stone. In Acts 2, that's where God writes upon fleshy tables of our hearts. Fifty days after Passover, he writes upon our hearts. How can all this synthesize together? Just like, just like that. How can it synthesize together and us not be Jews? I don't understand hard-headed Baptist preachers and Pentecostal people who don't know. Well, Pentecostals, I can understand they're really... They're so off the wall, they don't know nothing about nothing. But the Baptists who've gone to seminary and how they could look at this. When you get to Acts 2, stop and think. I was thinking this yesterday. Acts 2. These things get in your mind. Jesus is dead. He's going to birth the church in Acts 2. He's going to birth church and breathe the Holy Spirit upon them. And the whole idea of all this, this is Pentecost, a Jewish feast. It's called the Feast of Weeks. Feast of Weeks because it's seven sets of seven weeks. Seven times seven is forty-nine nine days. And the fiftieth day comes Pentecost. That's where they were down here. So Moses comes down off the mountain in Exodus 20. He's got in his hands tables of stone. Tables of stone. Up here, all through the New Testament, the Bible says, God has written upon fleshy tables of our hearts. How, how, can, how can these preachers miss that we are spiritual Israel? I don't know how they miss it. Especially when, when, when the... Uh, when David, David, when Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything. Circumcision was a title for Jews. 
miracles that comes from Abraham in the 17th chapter of Genesis. God says, I'll be your people, you'll I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and you'll circumcise the foreskin, the eighth day, the height of the clotting factor. We know that. And he tells Moses, you tell the people, I will circumcise your hearts. He talks about spiritual circumcision in Ephesians, the second chapter, and Colossians, the second chapter. You're circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That makes you a spiritual Jew. I don't know why people hate that so. All the preachers I ever knew hate it. I didn't even get the study of this from any preacher I've ever heard. Then, well, I was going to take you somewhere. Did I say? Uh, Oh, Galatians 5. Galatians. How can this be true? If we're not spiritual Israel. Galatians 5. And he says all through here. Circumcision was a term for Jews. And he says... Well, I'll already go ahead and read twelve, thirteen down to 16. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they want to show off. They constrain you to be so circumcised so they can put on their tote board uh, for the year. 235 circumcised this year. Only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. What they're saying, if you will perform ritual, that's going to exempt you from true circumcision, death to self. For neither they themselves are circumcised, keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Have you ever seen a tote board in a church? All Baptist churches have them. 236 people baptized this year. They want to put on their tote board 235 circumcised this year. They want to glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the daily cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. You say, Jim, you spent a lot of time on this. Circumcision is getting rid of the outer man, and God will do that over time. When he says, when the Bible says God will circumcise your heart, what he's saying, he will get rid of that outer man, the fleshly man. But circumcision doesn't matter, but a new Creature, as many have been Christ, they are new creations. Old things have passed away, behold, all things come new. And as many as walk according to this rule, the word rule is the word canon. We speak of the canon of Scripture. That is the word of God. What was approved by the early, the early teachers of the word? What was in the word of God? This is the canon of scripture. As many as walk according to this rule, not a new, not circumcision, but of a new creation, P 
peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. God's Israel are the new creatures. Us. He says that. And these other verses over in Revelation. When he says in Revelation, the third chapter. When he says in the third chapter, him that overcometh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Make a pillar is an idiom. Verse 12, chapter 3. And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon this man that overcomes. Overcome is a verb form of victory. Nike. Victory is Nike. Overcome is Nikao. N-I-K-O. And faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Death to self overcomes the flesh. I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. You mean the church? He's talking to a church here. He's not talking to Jews. He's talking to the church at Philadelphia. It's a church. It's not. He's not talking to Jews. Why would he say in here, I'm going to call you New Jerusalem. The church was heavenly Jerusalem. The church. And you preachers don't think we're spiritual Israel? I can't get over those preachers out there. It's just like, what, are you just stupid or what? Not to say that we're spiritual Israel is crazy. Do I have any time, Mike? Four. Four minutes. I'm going to get back and come back. Acts 2 is the birth of the church. He gives, he puts the law upon the hearts of the people there. He writes upon fleshy tables of our heart. He wrote on tables of stone in the Old Testament. He sprinkles our heart. He sprinkled the, the Ark of the Covenant over there where the tables of stone were. Everything in the Old Testament is equal to the new. And I was going to get into, there's so many things I haven't said. I was going to get into, spiritual day of atonement and the Bible will teach us all about that in Luke the 11th chapter what are we doing in the spiritual day of atonement the Bible says well I'm not getting to it now it's take me to go into too much there's so many things I want to say about being a spiritual Jew we undergo, undergo all the things. We're spiritually circumcised. Uh, we, we partake of the Lamb. We also... No, I don't want to get into that. If I get into all this, I can't even start into the spiritual day of atonement. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in Luke, the 11th chapter. Everything that we are comes out of... Jewishness. But I'm not saying the Jews in Israel believe Jesus because they don't. God's got to give you a hearing ear and a seeing eye to be a, a real Jew. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made even both of them. They are not all Israel which are of Israel, for the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Everybody's not a Jew that says they are. 
Well, if that's true, those that say they're not Jews doesn't necessarily mean they're not. If you've been circumcised in the heart, you can hear truth and you understand the truth of God's word. And we're fighting the very thing that they polluted themselves with in the Old Testament, Baal and the Grove, the Christmas system. And it's nothing but a system of self. It's a system of that outer man. The outer man is what we can't get rid of. God will circumcise that from our hearts. might take him 30 years or 40 years, but he'll do it. I had people call me, I had somebody call me the other day and said, I'm going through such a hard time. I said, well, guess what? So are we all. I don't like being this miserable. I said, nobody does. You're not by yourself. I'll have people call me. I said, well, welcome to my world. You think that's tough? It's supposed to be. You can't get over the outer man by yourself. Can't be done. Well, I'm, I've got so many more things to say on this. I'm anxious to get to the Day of Atonement. This is a great book. Everybody needs to get it if you don't have it. The Temple is Ministry and Services, Alfred Edersheim, died in 1889. Great scholar, just has many, many good things to say. I've got some other things to straighten out that I haven't straightened out yet well let's pray Lord thank you for truth of your word God help us to learn your word help us that as your spiritual Israel we have to be obedient to your words we need to study the book thank you for everything you do and you're doing everything We'll give you praise for everything. Fight our battles for us. We won't fight anymore. It's up to you. In Christ's name we pray, man. It's simple that we cannot run around with whited sepulchers. That's the same thing as the guy having an affair with his stepmother. We can't run with that. What happens to us? We get dirty. Evil communication corrupts good morals. You'll get corrupted running around with the wrong people. And people don't want that. They want to straddle the fence and have God at the same time. God's... Hey. I remember on your last message before this, you brought up the word Nazarite. Yeah. Not to be mistaken with Nazarene. Yeah. Well, I looked it up. I mean, I've, you know, I've studied it many bunch. other times, but it's just been so long since we've dealt with the Nazarite. But the point being, Jesus could not be a Nazarite. Yeah. Right? Because he came in contact with a dead body in Luke 7. Yeah. And he drank wine. Yeah. Well, he didn't drink didn't drink alcoholic wine. He well, never, you never. Know, the, and when he... When he came in, when he came in contact with the dead body, he made it alive. Right, that's the difference. So that so then he could be a Nazareth. Yeah, yeah, he could. Yeah, because he made dead people alive. He was never corrupted with anything. It's something to look at. Yeah, and 
think about. That's what, that's what I've been doing the last couple of yeah. months. Yeah.